Today we're going to be talking about the righteousness of God and the power of God. The power of God is such a beautiful topic because all of us want to walk in the power of God and we want to know what this power of God actually is. You know, I've seen the power of God and I remember the time when I was thinking of the power of God as uh, just signs, wonders and miracles and some supernatural things that need, need to take place. But there's so much more in the power of God and there's so much more to be understood by the power of God. Now, uh, in this year, the passion, <coughs> or let me put this way, <coughs> the, the passion that is in my heart for this year is to um, just preach on the resurrection life of Christ. And uh, I want to do that for most of this year. Just preach on the resurrection, preach on the power of God that brings forth a brand new life in us and how that works. You know, when we think of the gospel, uh, we, have, we are at a place that I've seen in the world that the, there's so many different um, kinds of gospels that, that it's so difficult to actually know what is the true gospel. In this week, I read an article on a, a theologian, not a theologian, an old church father in about 150 after Christ, and they've documented a, a conversation with him. And... He mentioned things about the church in about 150 after Christ. And he says, these are new things that come in and don't even think that those people are Christians. And those are things mentioned that that's common knowledge to us today as thinking that is part of the gospel. So in this year to come, there's a lot of things that's going to be shifting and there's a lot of things that's going to be corrected. And I want you to know that and I want you to be ready for that. Uh, but it's not going to be... Um, at the expense of anything, is going to be unto the manifestation of the life of God that there is uh, towards us in Jesus Christ. Now I want to start off by reading a well-known passage in Romans, um, Romans 1 and verse 16, and we're going to talk about the power of God in the life of a believer and how do you walk in the power of God and what is this power of God? How do you access the power of God. Romans uh, 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it's written, the just shall have life by faith, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, what it says there, and there's some key words that we need to look at here, it talks about the power of God. It says, the, um, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ or the gospel of Jesus, our Messiah. Why? For this gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So here I want to look at the word gospel. I want to look at the, the word power. And I want to also just explain a little bit about salvation. Now, it goes on there. It says it's for the Jew and for the Greek. And then it goes on. It says, in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, for it's written, the just shall live or have life, by faith, and then a very interesting verse, verse 18, the first word there, for the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness. 
Now that sounds funny. It sounds as if these things don't uh, uh, work together. Now what it says here is that the gospel is the power of God that will save us, for this is salvation. The just shall have life by faith. So the salvation that the Bible talks about here, and you know our picture of salvation is so important in the church. And let me just start off with that. Um, I want to start off with what the gospel is, but let us just start off with what salvation is. Salvation is the message, or what salvation is, it is to be saved from sin and death. That is what salvation is. Salvation is not, you know, we've had the salvation message and salvation idea of God is going to save you from your rotten body, you know, and the prison of the soul, which is the, the, the physical body, and he's going to take your spirit to him in heaven. That, is, that was what salvation basically is. Salvation uh, in traditional Christianity uh, has always been, you know, God making it able for my spirit to go to heaven. That is what we've seen salvation to be. But that is not the salvation message. And that is actually a very powerless message. There's no power in that message because it cannot save my body. It cannot save me from sin in the flesh. It's all spiritual. It's got everything to do with the spirit and where my spirit will go. But it's got nothing to do with actually redeeming me and saving me from sin in the flesh. And you must remember, Jesus became, or God became, or incarnated human flesh to redeem our lives from death. In the beginning, when Adam sinned, the biggest problem that came in was Adam died. He says, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this is the thing that will happen to you, you will die. And Jesus came to save us from death. That's why the Bible says, the just shall live. The just shall have life. How? By trusting Jesus. And how will that take place? Jesus will come by His Holy Spirit and He will conquer his enemies in our lives, things that is an enemy of life, um, be it bitterness or hatred or fear or any of those kind of things, God will conquer those things in your life by His Holy Spirit through a certain truth that we believe. So the gospel uh, message is the message of that is so powerful that it brings forth life in us today. And eventually, the last thing that will be conquered, and we, will know, we know it's in the return of Jesus, is even death. You know, death is not our friend. It is our enemy. Now, I read a very interesting thing in this week. I didn't uh, plan to say this, but let me say this. Um, there was a Greek philosopher about 400 before Christ. And um, he, Socrates, what's it? I couldn't even say Norman in English. Well, anyway, so this guy, what he, what he did was, he was involved in some politics and he had some Greek philosophies. And what he said is, he said, you don't have to believe in all these many gods. And he was against this thing of having many gods. Now, the, Greek, um, the Greeks back then and the empire that was standing then had to make, accommodate different religions and different faiths. Because as they would go and, and conquer different nations, they would find different religions. And what they did was they just took all these religions together and uh, basically said all these gods are legitimate gods. Um, they even to a, to a certain degree honored uh, our God. 
you know, that was, that was seen in, as, as the God of the, of the Jews or in Jerusalem back then. And um, so when this guy, this guy came, he said, listen, you, know, you, you don't have to believe in all these gods. And he caused a lot of turmoil. And because of saying that, he had to appear before the council and, uh, as a troublemaker. And he was then given three hours to defend himself. And then um, the state had three hours. And he was found guilty. It was like, I think, 180 or 220 said not guilty, 280 said guilty. And um, then uh, when they decide on the punishment, the punishment was the death penalty. And uh, the death penalty was now, I mean, that is the ultimate thing that can happen to you, is the death penalty. But this guy had a belief that basically made nothing of death. He said, oh, well, death is not a problem. Death is actually your friend because... Uh, when you die, your soul gets released from this jail. And, uh, you know, which a lot of us think today. But this was this Greek philosopher's <coughs> view of death. And, and uh, the way the death penalty worked back then was you had to drink poison. So he was taken into his cell and then he had the opportunity to have his last words with, uh, um, with his, his uh, disciples. And they were sitting there, I think there was three of them. And uh, as they were sitting there, uh, they were crying, but he was not crying. And uh, he said to them, why are you crying? Because I'm about to go to a much better place. Uh, I mean, doesn't it sound so much like Christianity? You know, I'm going to go to a much better place and it's going to be so good for me. And I'm just leaving this death. You know, I'm leaving this jail and I'm going to go to a better place. And he corrected them and they stopped their crying, but they were still sad and then he asked the jailer, what must he do? And they, they put the, 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 um, the poison there and he had to drink it. And um, then he said, how long, over what period of time should he drink it? He says, well, as long as what is reasonable, you know. So, uh, and the guy started and he drank all the poison. And the next thing he had to do was start to walk around in the cell so there can be some blood flow. And uh, when his legs, his feet would get numb, then he had to come and lie down and they would examine him to see if the poison was strong enough and, and so forth. And, uh, and he peacefully died. He peacefully died. But if you take that, and because he said death is your friend, but if you take Jesus, and th this can upset some of you, but let us just look at this. Um, if we take Jesus, Jesus, when he was in Gethsemane, was afraid. He didn't look at death as something that's going to release him. He didn't look at death as his friend. He didn't see himself as, um, you know, his soul escaping uh, the tortures of this world. He didn't see any of that. He saw death as the absolute opposite of God. Because God is life. God is love. The very attribute of God is eternal life. That is, th that, that is the thing only God possesses. It's eternal life. That is what basically, to a certain degree, um, it, it's one of the attributes of God that, that if you connect anything to God, that is what makes Him God. It is He's got eternal life. And that life also talks about a certain quality of life. So He's, he's, he's got so much love and so much goodness and so much joy that it is so unending and so good that it can never die. And here Jesus comes and now look, look at, <clears throat> at what was ahead of him. I mean, we can try and reason about this as, men, as much as what we want. Jesus was afraid. 
He was in Gethsemane and he was afraid. And look at this other philosopher facing death with peace. But Jesus doesn't. He is afraid. He is so afraid that he asks his disciples to pray for him. Here's the Son of God asking for assistance from fragile man. Pray for me, please. Um, And then he comes back and says, can you not even pray for one hour with me? You know, and his his heart is is, is afraid even unto death because he knows what he's going to go through. Many times you could think, you know, he was afraid because he was going to be beaten or he was afraid afraid of the people that was going to kill him. I don't think Jesus was afraid of those because... Um, even when he, when they came to to grab him, you know, they said to him, "Where is where's Jesus? I am. It is me." And they fell down on the ground. So he wasn't afraid of them. Well, the fear that there was in his heart was the fear of death, because he knew he's going to go into a place and he's going to go into something that is completely opposite to God, and he's going to embrace that, and that is our death. He's going to embrace that in the hope and the belief that his father would raise him up from that. That was was the the, the hope, but it was still a terrible thing for Jesus. It wasn't a joyful thing, you know. The joy that was set before him that caused him to endure the cross was what could happen to us after the resurrection. But let's look at at it this way, and this is the point I want to make. Death in the eyes of Jesus was not the same thing as what it was in the eyes of Greek philosophy. It was not a release. It was not a moving unto a better place. It was none of that. Although it is, it became that to us, which I will still explain. But, and we can die in absolute peace now. But we we don't die in the peace like the Greek philosophers. Because God has got a power that is greater than the lies of the Greek philosophers. The Greek philosophers was, I'm moving on. But God's issue was not with moving on. God's issue was, I want to conquer death. I want to conquer what is killing these people. And I want to save them from death. That's what I want to do. I'm not there to let them live in another place. I am there that I want to raise them up from their death. And I want to conquer everything that brings death which is, we know, sin or our weakness. So Jesus came and he then (coughs) embraced death and he died. And when we look upon the cross, when he was hanging there, it was not a pleasant sight. We don't find an atmosphere of absolute peace and joy. We find turmoil. We find uh, desperation. We find a quoting of scripture, Psalm 22, where Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22, not that God forsook him, but a, a, a place where he is in, a, in such despair, taking our darkness upon him to the point that we can say, my God, my God, where are you? Or you have forsaken me. But I, and and he, he trusted his father going into the greatest enemy of God, which is death. Paul even said the last enemy that will be conquered is death. <clears throat> so Jesus on the third day was raised from the dead. He was the firstborn from the dead. And when he was raised from the dead... He saved man from death. He actually conquered whatever would lead man to death and whatever would lead to destruction. And he even conquered physical death and raised a man 
that carried all death from the dead, that he was called the firstborn from the dead, and therefore out of him flows all life now. Now, that is what salvation is. Salvation is the message of God saving us from death and everything that leads to it. You know, if we look at politics, if we look at um, just the things of this world, if you just go and sit in nature, for instance, and uh, you sit and you look at a, just a beautiful tree or just out in the middle of nowhere, I'm thinking of driving to, um, to Zambia once and I drove through, I think it's a Knersflakte, it's called, called here, and there's just rocks there and it's like barren and you would sit there and you would just experience that peace and how quiet it is and you know a desert has got its own beauty to it and you would just experience that and as you cross the orange river and you see the beautiful green next to the river in the middle of a desert and just that beauty there and and you look at all of that and you look at and you come back home and you look at politics and you look at fighting and you look at the love for money and you look at all those kind of things you know as you travel back home you kind of almost feel that pressure that depression that wants to get onto you and as that takes place you realize that there is a death in this world and our god is not a god that stands helpless against the things of this world helpless against politics helpless against all these things our god saw what went wrong with this earth our god saw what went wrong with man that man's belief was wrong that man entered into a weakness where he cannot experience experience god's quality of life and he said let me enter into that let me defeat all of that let me conquer all of that and i will save them from this decay I will save them from this corruption. I will save them from, from death. All that they need to do is trust me and rest in me and I will bring it forth. Even if they should die, I will raise them from the grave, restore this earth and restore man. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Or that is what I can say, the, the end of the gospel. That is the result of this good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the, there's a power that works in us. And that power that works in us is called the power that raised Christ from the dead, which is the resurrection power of God. And that power is the power that works in us as believers. Now, how does that power work in us? How does that power actually come and defeat sin in our life, defeat, um, it will eventually defeat death in our life, defeat um, things in our life where we find arguments and fights and stresses and the things of this world. How will that power defeat the things in this life and overcome the things of this life for us where we can maybe in the midst of the greatest uh, turmoil have inner peace? You know, it's like, I don't know if I testified about this uh, last week, but we were supposed to go to uh, Mozambique and uh, spend some time on an island there. Uh, somebody just uh, gave us time there and said, listen, come and spend time in my house. He's got a house on an island in Mozambique, very beautiful place, and uh, private beach, the whole thing. And um, we got everything together, and the day before we left, we realized we've got the wrong uh, kind of birth certificate for Bertus, and uh, the laws changed, and we just simply forgot about it. That's how it is. That's how stupid it is. We just forgot about it. 
And within 24 hours, well, 20 hours before we left, less than that, before we left, we realized that uh, we've got this wrong birth certificate. And uh, we phoned the border control, spoke to them. They said there's no way they will ever allow us to allow him to leave the country. We can leave, but he'll stay. Now, who knows? I mean, you know, you can't leave your kid here and go on some holiday on an island, you know. And um, we, I mean, we lost our flights. We lost everything. Uh, and we just stayed home. But you know what is the beautiful thing? Even when that happened, the beautiful thing about the gospel is, and this resurrection power is, I don't have to go to the island to be happy. If I would have gone to the island, happy me would have been on the island. And if I stay at home, happy me is at home. That is the way it is. You know, place doesn't make you happy. The gospel, the nature of God, the goodness of God has resurrected joy inside me free from situations. And that is how God comes and conquers his enemy in your life by that doing, by bringing forth things like love and peace and joy and kindness and uh, 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 a certain wisdom and all those kind of things. And he will continue with that until physical death is defeated. And that is the salvation plan. That is why we are, even in the day of judgment, we are not afraid because as he is, how is he? He is physical and is conquered death. So are we in this world. That is how we will be in that time, you know, in his return. That is the thing. We, we don't have to be afraid. He's come to bring life to us. Now, let's go back to Romans 1. And let me just summarize this. What I want to say is, Greek philosophy basically said, salvation is to be delivered from your body. Christianity said, Salvation is to have eternal life. That's the difference where your whole body is saved from sin and death. That is, and there's a big difference. That's a difference between Greek philosophy of the time about 400 before Christ. That's a difference between Plato, one of the Greek philosophers, uh, and what he believed. And I mean, he just um, honored this master that he taught from that died so peacefully. And he said, that is the thing, you know, just believe in the immortality of the soul and we actually don't need eternal life we already have eternal life let us just go on and move on to the next dimension where christianity was all about death is an enemy it's an ugly thing and our jesus came and he conquered death now today when we die um, in our physical bodies we have got joy much more than uh, um, greek philosophers the joy we have is nothing will be lost. We shall be raised immortal. And the wonderful thing about a belief that says we will be raised immortal is since our body will be raised and since our body and our mind and our willpower is too weak to experience or bring forth the life of God in this world by our own power, what happens is our heart allows this message of the resurrection to have access to our bodies and we have the peace of God. We don't have the peace of ignorance. We have the peace of God. We have the joy of God. We've got the righteousness of God. We walk in the truth and in true victory. We find things like ego and um, love for self and self-preservation and all those kind of things fall off our backs because we know that we are preserved in Christ. 
When we look at uh, Romans 1.16, in, uh, in a summary of the first part here, what we are saying is the gospel is the power of God that will save us from death and everything that leads unto death. That means there, with that in mind, we don't have to have a penalty substitution gospel, which I don't have time to explain now. For those of you that have listened to me regularly, you'll know what that means. Um, there's no place for law. Because we know that by our own ability we cannot save ourselves. You know, if, if, if salvation is determined in where you spend eternity, then it is like, um, well, okay, if I do enough good works, then we can just rely upon the moral character of God to judge my situation, that I do good enough for Him to now give me a place in heaven. But that's not what, what salvation is. We need to be saved from death. We need to conquer physical death. That is the thing. We need to conquer sin in the flesh. Uh, how will that take place? Who of us, by sowing money to your local church, can save you from dying? Nobody. Who can, by his own giving and his own doing, cause his bones to be raised from the grave, even if it's a thousand years from now? Nobody. And I think if we've preached the true salvation message... Uh, which is salvation from death, people would not so easily fall into the law because you know that your works cannot save you from death. Only God can. You know that your works cannot save you from sin. Only God can. So here is the gospel. The good news is the power of God. It's, a, it's, it's, the, message, it's the message that is so powerful that it can save you from sin and death. So when God sees you, in sin, he's not saying, you bad sinner. He's saying, I need to save him from that. Okay, now, <clears throat> the word gospel. What is gospel? What is the good news? If, we've, if you go and read uh, Mark 16, you will see exactly what the gospel is. Jesus died, and after he died, <clears throat> in Mark 16 from his 1, the whole story about Jesus' resurrection is recorded. And, uh, you know, people went to the grave, and they saw that the grave was open. And they went back and told the disciples, and the disciples didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And uh, Jesus appeared to, to some of them on their way to Emmaus. And then he said, wait for me in a certain place and I will appear to you. And they didn't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And then Jesus appeared to them and he rebuked them for their unbelief that he was raised from the dead. So there were people going around spreading the good news that Jesus was raised from the dead. But the people didn't believe that. And then Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to the eleven and said to them, Here am I. Why are you so full of unbelief? Why are you not believing the good news that I was raised from the dead? And then after that, he said to them, Peace unto you. Or he said to them, Peace unto you. He, he, he corrected them. And they said, then said to them, Go and preach the gospel. And what gospel means good news. What is the good news? The good news is that there was a man that conquered death. And that he's got power over everything that leads to death. And he has conquered death. It was my death. That means that, that his life is my life. That means everything that's destroying my life has lost its power. And that I can be free from that without any doing. Simply trusting him. That's the good news. That's the gospel. The gospel that they preached was the message of how God conquered sin and death. That's the message. And, um, you know, Paul, 
It was almost like a given that we are accepted. It was a given that we are loved. You know, like Caleb sings that song, um, he sings over me, and the song that he sings over me is the song of his love for his world. You know, God has got a song of love over his world. This is his world. This is his people. You are his people. You are, he, he loves you. He is, he, he, he's, he's dreamt you. He's always wanted you. And he cannot see that you die and that you are destroyed. And therefore he's come to conquer all of that for you. So the gospel, the message of the resurrection is the power of God unto salvation. Now I want to read to you the definition of the word power there. Um, in other words, the message of Jesus' resurrection. The good news of the resurrection is the power of God that, and I want to use my own words, that causes you to have an effortless life unto eternal life. That is it. The word power there is the word uh, dunamis, where some people say you get the word dynamite or dynamo from, which I can believe. Um, But look at the beauty of this, and this is what Thyre Greek definition says. It says, it's inherent power, the ability uh, or ability residing in a thing by virtue of its nature, or which a person or thing exerts and puts forth. So it says here, it is the power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. So what he's saying here is that the power, the gospel is the power of God or the very virtue or the nature or the power that God exerts by his nature that saves you. So what is the nature of God? God's nature is life. God's nature is love. God's nature is goodness. God's nature is kindness. So, the gospel, the message of Christ's resurrection, is of such a sort that, that, it fi- that the new life we have f- comes from the very nature of God which He exercises towards us. That is what it's, that is what it's all about. So, when we read about sin, I want to read one, one passage there about sin quickly and what sin is and, and, and how He saves us from sin. So, the gospel is the message where God comes and saves us from our sin. And I've asked this question so many times to God. I said, God, what is sin? And we would think, but that's common sense, man. You know, you know what is sin. Don't drink too much, don't sleep around, don't smoke, don't do something. Now, that is sin. If you go and look at the Greek, you'll find certain definitions of of, of sin and one of the most powerful definitions of sin for me in the Greek is not to have a share in not to be a partaker of in other words if you sin it means you're not partaking of the life of God but that's still that's a powerful definition but I saw something today that blessed me so much so let me read to you what sin is and I hope you're going to hear this in the first reading but I'll explain it it says here um Romans 5 verse 5 it says, And hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For yet when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will anyone die, yet peradventure for a good man will some even dare to die. But God commanded his love towards us and then while we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
Now listen to this. I'm going to read the two verses together that I want to, that makes the point. He says, For when we were yet without strength, Christ died for us. But God commanded his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were without strength, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, what is sin? Sin means not to have strength unto eternal life. That is sin. Sin is not to have the ability to have eternal life by your own works. That is sin. Sin is, sin is when you cannot reach unto eternal life by your works. In other words, that's why um, it, is, it is actually, if you tithe to be blessed, you are sinning. It is a sin. Why? Because you are using a force that cannot give you eternal life. You are using weakness to try and reach what only God can give. That is a sin. Sowing and reaping. If you give money to the local church to be blessed by God and therefore create a blessed life by that principle, you are sinning. You are walking in sin. You are walking in your weakness. Because the flesh, human flesh, doesn't have the ability to have eternal life by its own doing. And whenever we engage that human flesh or our inability or our weakness, we are walking in sin. And now He's come and He's come to save us from our sin. He's come, he's come to save us from walking in our weakness. Because, you know, you will continue to walk in sin as long as what you don't think that there is provision for you. In other words... If I think, let's use finance as such a practical thing, and you know, I've, so those of you that have seen the picture that I've put up on Facebook about Jesus the tithe, that painting on the wall, you know, Jesus the tithe caught, caused uh, uh, some discussion, which was wonderful. And I've just seen how many people still believe in tithing and sowing and reaping. It's amazing. It's almost like you can't believe that, that we can still believe such a doctrine. You know, in the presence of what Christ has done for us, and even with technology that we can get the message so clearly, you can almost not believe that, that we can still be stuck in that kind of sin. So, you know, when we look at that, we, what we see in sowing and reaping, for instance, is if you've got a thing that I'm not going to be blessed, if you've got my future is not secure, doesn't matter what I do, I've got eternal financial security in God. If you don't have that, and you're not sure of that, you know what you'll do? You're going to use anything to try and get that. And now you will, you will engage weakness. What weakness is, is man's ability to, to have eternal life by his doing. Let me put it this way. You can never be financially blessed by your sowing reaping as what someone would be blessed if God blesses him. If God blesses somebody, nobody by following any principle can ever be as blessed as the one that God has blessed freely. So if you are at a place where you are not sure of that eternal security and life 
and provision of God, you will do anything, you will engage something that cannot even work and you'll just use it for a while. You'll use some principle, you'll use the flesh, you'll use your weakness. So, God sees sin as man's weakness to have eternal life and He wants to redeem us from that. He wants to give us enough reason that we would not see any need to use any human willpower or principle or anything which causes our death and causes our destruction, that we will find no need to use that. You know, if a child, if, if your child uses drugs, he uses those drugs to have some peace. But if you can supply a peace to him and he can be convinced of that peace, and that that peace is for free forever, and that that peace is even greater than anything you could ever desire, and he can know it is his for sure, you will see that he's got, he will be immediately set free from drugs. Why? Because what he seeks, he has found. And that is how Christ has come to set us free. And what man is seeking is eternal life. We are seeking eternal life. That is what we want. And God has come and has given that to, to, given that to us in Christ Jesus. And that is what this is all about. He has died for us while we were yet weak. He's died for us while we were still seeking justification by our works. That is the sin. Let us end off, and this is going to summarize this so beautifully, in Ephesians 1 verse 17. He says, this is Paul praying for the church. He says here, um, verse 15, he says, wherefore I, also heard, wherefore, I also, after I've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love to all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that, God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us word who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him um, and set and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now, what he's saying here is phenomenal. He says, I've heard of your faith. I've heard that you've believed in Christ now. I've heard of your love for all the saints. And since I've heard this, I'm not stopping to pray, pray for you. And this is my prayer. I so hope that you can actually understand the gospel. <laughs> amazing. This is Amazing. You know, we have, we've thought that if we've got a church that comes together and as ons cookies ideal and ons koeldrank van mense gegeet and we've done all the good things that we need to do I've went over to Afrikaans, sorry that, you know, if we've, we've dished out our biscuits and we've given our, uh, uh, the, the, our lemonade and we've done our good things there for people then, you know, that is church and if we just grow our church, you know, glory to God Paul wasn't very Paul didn't say and say, I preach that you reach the world. He says, I've heard of your faith. I've heard of your love for all the saints. And this is my prayer, that your mind might open up to the gospel. 
that you may understand the hope of his calling. And when we talk about the hope of his calling, it talks about the resurrection from the dead. He comes and he says the hope of the gospel, that which the Christian expects is that God is the source of all life in him. That God is the one that bears the fruit in him. That God is the one that brings righteousness and holiness and peace and joy in him. And that God conquers all death. And he says here, and listen to this passage, he says it so beautifully here. And with that in mind, let's read verse 17 and 18 again. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So what he was saying is, although I've heard of your faith, although I've heard of miracles that took place in your town, although I've heard of your love for all the saints, you know, I'm still praying for you. And this is what I pray. I pray that you may have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He says, I pray that your, the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened. My goodness. We would say, well, that church must know everything. He says, no, no, I pray that you might be enlightened. That's my prayer for the church as well. You know, the church, we have seen churches being built. We have seen so many things take place. But we have not seen the gospel. And we have walked in the church in, in the futility of this ignorant, I almost want to call it ignorant faith. Not understanding what the gospel is all about. He says, I pray that, that your eyes of your understanding might be enlightened. And then semicolon explaining what he's talking about. He says that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints. In other words, what he's saying is, he says, I want you to know what God inherited or what Jesus inherited and how that pertains to you. What did Jesus inherit? Eternal life. That's what he inherited. He inherited a life where he, by his nature, by his being, has conquered all sin and all death. He's inherited that. He says, now I want you to know what your inheritance is. In other words, what you have received in the resurrection from the dead. You know, it is shocking to me, and I'm sorry that I... And I'm going to talk about this, and I'm sorry for those that have heard this before, but I want to say this again. I'm shocked, and I'm saying this as, as a lover of the church, and as a pastor that wants to shepherd the people in this red church with a, with a passion of God. There are people that don't even believe and call themselves Christians, and they don't even believe that we will be physically raised from the dead, and they call themselves Christians. And they go around and they are cheating you that are watching this. And I can see how some of you are falling into this. You know, Facebook is a thing where your life's open. I can see what you're doing. <laughs> I can see the danger that is coming to your life. The, the, there are lies and heresies going around making everything about some spiritual thing and not the resurrection, the physical resurrection from the grave. There are even people going around today and sad to say, some of them are my friends, that goes around and says they don't even care if Jesus was raised from the dead. That's blasphemy, man. That is not the gospel. It is not the good news. And I can see why the apostle 
Paul prayed and he preached and he said, I know that you're Christians. I know that you are believers. I hear of your faith, but God, please help that these people understand what this is all about. Because people believe the gospel for different reasons. You will find people go to church and they've got faith and they love people and dish out things just because that's the in thing to do. That's it. You must be in a church. So we go to a church or that's a nice thing. There's love there. So let us just join that. Another club or group. But it's not a personal thing where you personally have a revelation of what God has inherited in man when he raised Jesus from the dead. What, what, what added to the Godhead was an immortal human being. And Paul came and he said this so clearly. He said to the people, he said that in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, in the Godhead is a man that has conquered death, that, that dwells in the Godhead bodily. Jesus dwells bodily in the Godhead, not spiritually, bodily. And the reason why it's so important to believe in the bodily resurrection and the bodily salvation is because when you believe that, you find that your heart allows that resurrection power to have access to your body and to your mind and to the things in your brain and in your heart and you find that you are saved from the power of the flesh and sin. That's the only way. The gospel is not about the pearly gates. The gospel is not about in how God saves man from, from his body and just dump the human body. And No, no. That is not the gospel. It's never been the gospel. Even if you say the other message sounds very good. You know, Greek philosophers also thought their message was good. They, their message was so good that they can drink poison. But the thing is, it was not the truth. And it has got no power against the flesh today. So, Let's read this again. Verse 18. The eyes of your understanding enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us word who believe. Who believe what? Who believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, the resurrection according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. There are some that say that the resurrection has already taken place. My goodness. I want to tell you the only resurrection that has taken place is when Jesus was raised from the dead. And we are now awaiting the resurrection and we are seeing the first fruit of the resurrection in our bodies, where we see the signs of this resurrection power in us, where we find our emotions get resurrected by the Spirit that dwells in us. What Spirit? The Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, wherein we say the end goal, the end salvation, is a complete whole human, wherein God didn't in the battle with the devil and in the battle with Satan lost human bodies. And now they are doomed to be ghosts somewhere, floating a spirit somewhere. Church, you know it is amazing that we have to, in 2017, after so many years of knowing the Bible and having all the resources to the Greek and the Hebrew and, and all of that, still sit with preaching an elementary message, a foundational message, which is in Hebrew is called the foundational message of the resurrection, wherein so much doubt has come to the church 
where we don't believe in the resurrection anymore. You know, in South Africa, in the Dust Reformed Church, we had the Apostles' Creed that we would say every Sunday. And in the Apostles' Creed, it's, it, it says that we believe in the resurrection of the dead. And what we understood when we said that was the physical resurrection of the dead when the graves will open up. And we believe in the gospel that was said every Sunday. You wouldn't go to a Sunday where you wouldn't say that. The whole congregation would stand up and say that. So I found in South Africa, in many churches, it is, it is like common knowledge. But when I travel nations in the world, I find that that is not common knowledge. People think the resurrection is when you die and go to heaven. It's not the resurrection. It is not. And I want to tell you if, you, if you narrow down the resurrection to that, you will walk in weakness. We will be tempted with all kinds of... That's why the church is so open to all these lies of financial lies, of binding the devil over town and this and that and all these heresies. Things that are just dumping the church into works righteousness and dumping the church into hurt and pain and turmoil. I mean, I watch Christian television every now and then. When I look at that, I just say, Lord, help. Help the church. Help the church, Lord. Put me on that station, Lord, because there are Christians that watch that, that need to hear this gospel of the resurrection. There are people that need to hear. You know, if you know that the gospel includes, and I'm ending off with this, if you know that the gospel includes salvation from the power of the flesh, if the gospel is the salvation of your body, where the end goal is to have the earth recreated, made brand new, a new heaven, a new earth, where we are raised from the dead, where we have not lost anything, where, where what became weak actually got glorified, where we see, when we see that, we will not be tempted with laws anymore because we would know the goal is so high. The goal is not to get into heaven by my good conduct. The goal is to have eternal life. And if you would follow a certain principle like a work, love your neighbor, and then you'll go to uh, love your neighbor. If the end goal is eternal life and loving your neighbor can give you eternal life, then those who love their neighbor should never die. And the moment we, we, we can see the end goal for what it really is, we would not fall into all these little tricks the devil plays on us on how to have eternal life. We will say with our own eyes, we see it doesn't work. But now we have got the hope wherein God has promised us that even if we die, we shall be raised, therefore not even death or anything that seem, seems to be negative in this life can tempt us to get into the law. Get into works righteousness. I want to say to you, church, in this year to come and in the future, um, and that is, this has always been God's plan, but I'm seeing it manifesting and I'm seeing it coming forth. This, this thing of uh, uh, um, God, is, the Bible says in the last days, He is shaking the church. And that shaking has been going on for 2,000 years. And I want to tell you that the, the, the Bible says in, in that he will build his church. And unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain. If you want to build peace with your works, you're building in vain, my friend. It's not going to work. It is going to be for free. It's going to be the message of the resurrection. It's going to be how God ends all death and how God ends all sin in you seeing that when Jesus became sin, he became, when he became weak, he became your weakness. 
And when he was raised, how much more shall we be saved by the life of Jesus? The just shall live by faith. Glory to God. So church, in a nutshell, if you say, you've said so many things, what must I take home? This is what I want you to take home. The good news is the message of the physical resurrection of Jesus. Some Christians that say that Jesus' body was eaten by dogs. Church, the internet is good, but don't, when you hear some rubbish and you feel it in your heart, don't listen to it, man. Christians saying, studying, having doctor's degrees, saying that the body of Jesus was never raised, it was eaten by dogs, and that Jesus, you know, that the resurrection was basically the realization that people had about you know how wonderful Jesus lived. Now it's an example for us how to live. I'll tell you, Jesus' example cannot save you, man. Jesus' example is weak. What saves you is the resurrection of Jesus. Examples cannot save you. Uh, um, you know, if somebody's drowning, and he's busy, he's really drowning, and he's been in the ocean, you know, there was somebody scared of, mom, some of uh, Malmesbury's, uh, a mom, somebody from Malmesbury, this child drowned at the ocean here the other day. And his parent, you know, <coughs> His parents saw, his father saw how his child just went into the ocean and drowned. Couldn't do anything. I tell you, if you went into the shallow water there and gave an example on how to swim, it wouldn't have helped. The child needed a savior. The example Jesus set us cannot save us. That is weakness, that is lies from the devil. The truth is, our God came. He incarnated us into our life and He saved, he, he conquered physical death, man. You know, I've, I've, my, my shoulder's hurting and you know, I just believe that it will become better much quicker than what the doctors say it would recover. But, and I, 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 my heart rests in the healing power of God. But if I look at human power just to heal a frozen shoulder, humans are weak, man. They know nothing. They are weak in their own ability. We cannot even heal cancer. We cannot even heal HIV AIDS. We cannot even heal somebody that's physically blind or born blind. We cannot do it. We cannot even a shoulder like this. You know what the doctor tells me? He says it's going to take you here in six months. And now we want to trust human ability and human knowledge to save us from sin and death. And following examples. It's not going to work. I tell you church, it's not going to work. We need to see ourselves unified in God. So, here it is. What do you take home? By my power, I can never be saved. God incarnated human flesh. He incarnated my sin and my darkness, all my sickness and everything as me. And He allowed the enemy of God to manifest fully, which is death in Him. And then He victoriously stood up out of that death. And in that death, He died my death away. And in His resurrection, His life is now my life. And that is what I believe. And in that belief, I will find that that power that raised Christ from the dead, by the very nature of God, will in me bring forth the fruit of the Spirit and the victory of Christ, as I believe that truth. Amen. The church, let us not be deceived into some stupid teachings that doesn't know, where people don't know what they're talking about. 
Jesus was raised from the dead. More than 500 people saw him at once after his resurrection. They touched him, they felt him. And then that resurrected body was glorified and that is the Christian hope. My prayer to you is, I pray that you will have an enlightened mind of your understanding, that you may understand the hope of the gospel, what God hoped for. That you understand the power of his resurrection, what he inherited in the saints, and what his plan is with you in this earth, in glorifying you and conquering all your sin and death by his doing, as you rest in him and see yourself united with him. That's my prayer for you. Amen. I would like to pray for you, and uh, I would like to just stretch forth my hands to everybody that is watching. Thank you, Lord, you know, that I can come today and I can just stretch forth my hands to people and I can pray for them. I thank you, Lord, that I can pray in the name of Jesus, in the name of the one that's conquered all sin, in the name of the one that's conquered all death. And I thank you, Lord, that every person that's watching today experiences signs, wonders and miracles, signs unto this miraculous power that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, that life is ours, that the spirit of life indwells us and that spirit swells and, 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 and pushes over into the physical and we start to see <clears throat> just the, 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 the emotions and, and the conquering as you conquer things in our lives, as you heal our minds that we can think your thoughts. Thank you for that. I pray for the church. I thank you, Lord, and like the Apostle Paul prayed, I pray that everyone that's watching, including myself, that we can have an enlightened mind of our understanding, that we can understand what this gospel is all about because as if we can have the safety of understanding this truth from the depth of our hearts, it will be so difficult to be tempted with evil. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you, everybody, for watching. And uh, I trust this message has really impacted your life. Uh, I've enjoyed this message. I know God enjoyed this message. And uh, I can just feel the power of this. And the joy it brings. So uh, enjoy this week. Uh, watch our clips we put on Facebook. We just put two, three minute clips on Facebook on a regular basis. Please watch that. Those of you that are not familiar with our website, please go to dynamicministries.com. And uh, there you can find, under resources, you can, can find my book, Born from Innocence. You can also find uh, Jesus is the Tithe, <coughs> which is a life-changing uh, 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 read. Go and get that. It's available uh, in soft or, or paperback, uh, there's, there's a certain amount, I don't even know what it goes for, but if you want it for free, you can download it in e-format, please do that. And I would also like to uh, thank everybody that uh, contributes to this ministry financially and uh, gives towards Dynamic Love Ministries. Your gifts are really appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank you for being part of this team and that we can minister the gospel of Jesus Christ together. And I uh, just want to say you're a blessing. And God loves you. Amen.